Hello and welcome to The Third Gold. For those of you who have been trolling our feed waiting for that first sweet, sweet episode to drop, I have great news for you. It's here. This is it. This is the one we are doing it right now. We did it. For those of you who are just getting turned on to the show, and man, that feels optimistic to think that we're going to have that level of viewership that more than just my mom and dad are going to be listening to this, this is a podcast where we explore how the Peace Corps works. Specifically, we're going to try and highlight some of the work being done at the Peace Corps post here in Madagascar. I'm your quasi-host, Dexter Gulick. I'm currently a health volunteer working on the east coast of Madagascar. And I say quasi-host because while you'll be hearing from me a lot, there are going to be a number of, shall we say, celebrity appearances. Episodes produced by others on the media committee here in Madagascar. And hopefully... By our powers combined, we can paint an accurate picture of just what it all is going on here, what we're doing here. In the meantime, I finally found a productive outlet for all the time I spend speaking to myself. I'm just making a podcast, folks. Nothing to see here. Just, just making a podcast. But today we're going to start at the 10,000-foot view. Way up here. What is the Peace Corps? Okay, so Peace Corps, or at least the idea of Peace Corps, dates all the way back to the 1950s. Nearly a decade before he was elected, then-Representative John F. Kennedy made a call for college-educated Americans to go to the Middle East to provide technical assistance in order to build on the, quote, constructive work done by religious missionaries in these countries over the past 100 years, end quote. The next we really heard of this concept was by Senator McMahon, who made a call for missionaries of democracy to be sent abroad. And I guess this kind of reflected the political climate at the time, right? Like This is the middle of the Cold War and the Red Scare. It was not only a way to help build up other nations following the tradition of the Marshall Plan, but also was a way to actively promote democracy and American values during, you know, the Soviet threat. I guess fast forward a little bit. In 1960, during his campaign for president, JFK doubled down on his call for a Peace Corps in his famous speech at the University of Michigan. In the middle of the night, he kind of got out on the the student union and talked about this concept, and and people loved it. And so pretty soon after getting elected, on March 1st, 1961, he started the program via Executive Order 10924. I have today signed an executive order providing for the establishment of a Peace Corps on a temporary pilot basis. I'm also sending to Congress a message opposing authorization of a permanent Peace Corps. This Corps will be a pool of trained men and women sent overseas by the United States government or through private institutions and organizations to help foreign countries meet their urgent needs for skilled manpower. It is our hope to have between 500 to 1,000 people in the field by the end of this year. We will send Americans abroad who are qualified to do a job. We will send those abroad who are committed to the concept which motivates the Peace Corps. It will not be easy. None of the men and women will be paid a salary. They will live at the same level as the citizens of the country which they're sent to, doing the same work, eating the same food, speaking the same language. We're going to put particular emphasis on those men and women who have skills in teaching, agriculture, and in health. I'm hopeful that it will be a source of uh, 
satisfaction to Americans and a uh, contribution to uh, world peace. Uh, that is President Kennedy announcing that he just signed Executive Order 10924, thus establishing the Peace Corps. Thereafter, he appointed Sergeant Shriver to be the Peace Corps' first director, and the first set of volunteers shipped out in August of that year to Ghana and Tanzania. And th- this was before Peace Corps was actually a thing thing, because a month later, on September 22nd, the Peace Corps was authorized by Act of Congress. So it's, a, it's officially an Act of Congress now, not just an executive order. In the early days of Peace Corps, all language training was done here stateside. Not only that, but they had like a quasi-boot camp for volunteers. So I guess in addition to your general aptitude testing and your language training and your cultural understanding, I guess you had to be able to run a mile in like those fitness tests you had in grade school that you like maybe still have nightmares about. I can't do pull-ups. I still can't do pull-ups. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I can see like the heart and the spirit of it. Service here is pretty physically demanding, right? A lot of the time you'll be fetching water or you'll be carrying stuff from a market that's a couple kilometers away. Or, you know, fetching wood from a forest so you can build things or have a fire. Maybe you're big in agriculture and have to spend a week digging in the field. I mean, boot camp seems a little intense, and I'm pretty intimidated by it, honestly. But, you know, like, I can see the spirit. I can understand the spirit behind it. Anyway, that went on for a little over a decade until then-director Donald Hess thought, oh, you know, it'd probably be a lot closer to the realities of service if they actually did the training in the country where they'd serve. And so, between 1972 and 1973, we kind of dropped the boot camp idea and had host country nationals teach the languages in country, which is a pretty huge shift. And and that model is still the one we use today because, turns out, language immersion is pretty helpful. So now, today, the Peace Corps is serving in 61 countries, and we've, we've been to 144, and there are six types of Peace Corps volunteers. There's agriculture, community economic development, education, environment, health, and youth in development. Uh, So ag volunteers are pretty focused on teaching farming techniques like composting, teaching about climate change as it pertains to how the crop cycles are now differing, and in general, increasing food security in their communities. The community economic development volunteers are all about encouraging small businesses and financial savviness. So that can take the form of either teaching about fiscal responsibility in schools, or working with entrepreneurs on marketing, or even seeking out exporting opportunities, you you name it. Basically doing a lot of capacity building to spur economic growth at a local level. Education volunteers are the lion's shares of all Peace Corps volunteers, and they teach. You know, no curveballs here, folks. Uh, But depending on the country, that could be teaching really any subject. I know here in Madagascar, our volunteers are more focused on teaching English as their primary assignment, but there are other countries where volunteers teach math, or chemistry, you know, you name it. Um, next up, environmental volunteers. Again, no surprises here. They work to conserve natural areas starting at the community level. So that means getting local leaders on board with sustainable practices in their farming or firewood collection, pushing to get natural resources filed under protective status or, you know, anything of that ilk. Health volunteers encourage healthier lifestyles in their communities. That can range from teaching about breastfeeding, working with communities to increase nutrition, teaching about hand washing, and of course, early signs for when people need to get to the clinic. And finally, youth and development. Youth and development volunteers work to promote responsible citizenship and have a focus on gender equality as well. These volunteers are pretty diverse as they're basically trying to teach all about 
what the previous five types of volunteers teach, but are specifically marketing and targeting the youth of nations served. So that's a brief rundown of volunteers, but these six types aren't present in all countries, right? So for instance, here in Madagascar, we've got agriculture, education, and health only. I mean, there's also a decent bit of flexibility in your work. Uh, for example, here in Madagascar, there's really no separating agriculture and environmental conservation. So our ag volunteers are kind of a blend of those two sections. They also get trained to do a lot of community economic development volunteer tasks. So our ag volunteers wear a lot of hats. I'm a health volunteer, and I'm working a lot on building gardens, which is traditionally an ag volunteer project, but that's really as a vehicle for me to teach my community about nutrition. Anyways, there's a lot of really great information on all these sectors if you visit the Peace Corps website at www.peacecorps. That's going to be P-E-A-C-E-C-O-R-P-S dot gov. You can also find out a bit about volunteer opportunities if you're ready to make that plunge and become a Peace Corps volunteer yourself. Hey everybody, this is Dexter here. Okay, so we're at the midpoint of our show and I just wanted to pop in and casually beg you all for your help. Please, 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 please have mercy on our fledgling podcast and write us a review on iTunes or wherever you found out about us. Seriously, that helps so much to get us into the charts so that other people can find out about us. Also, share us with your friends who might be interested in the Peace Corps. Or if you got a bud who's a returned volunteer, hardened by two years of service, shoot us their way too. You can also tweet at us because, yes, we've entered the 21st century. Our Twitter handle is at the third goal. And you can also send us an email at the third goal at gmail.com. So, yeah, if you guys can all spread the word, we'd be super, super appreciative of it. All right, thanks so much for listening. Now it's on to the second half of the show. All right, and we're back for the second half of the episode. Continuing on with our more general theme today, I'm going to get into the application process just a little bit. And before we get into it, I'd just like to thank two incoming trainees, Tyler Goodlett and Samantha Nelson, for jogging my memory a bit with regards to the medical clearances you have to do. I figured Peace Corps would probably raise a couple eyebrows if I put in an application for another post while I was already surfing here. So it's nice that we could avoid that. So hats off to you two, Tyler and Samantha, and I hope you're enjoying the U.S. and not stressing too much about the weight limit on your bags. Okay, so the application used to be a beast, and that's putting it simply. We're talking six hours to complete, entirely paper-based, basically a nightmare. Very recently, Peace Corps did a massive overhaul of this process, and now you can basically be done with an entire application in under an hour. Another neat feature, you can actually say where you'd like to go. That's right, that means it used to be that you just applied to Peace Corps and they just decided your fate. You just ended up going wherever they told you to go. Now you at least get a little bit of input and can rank countries or sectors that you'd like to be in. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll get those countries, but at least you can guide the hand a little bit. 
so let's get into it a little bit. The first couple questions are pretty general. Basically, your run-of-the-mill job application questions. Are you a U.S. citizen? Are you at least 18? What's your social security number? What's your mailing address? You've ever been convicted or charged of anything? Are you okay to let us do a background check? Had any DUIs in the past 12 months uh, prior to your service? Uh, What's your education level, your GPA, blah, blah, blah. I mean, nothing too exciting here. Uh, Getting further along, they ask you to upload your resume or CV. and, And let's be clear here, have someone read over it. If you're working, go to your HR department. If you're in school, they definitely have career services. If you're between jobs, at the very least, hand it to a friend or someone you trust who's good at handling, looking at resumes. Because a bad-looking resume is bad for any job, including Peace Corps. So make it sparkle, kids. They're going to ask you if you're a couple applying together or if you have dependents as well. Uh, I guess Peace Corps strongly prefers couples that have been together for at least a year. It used to be that only married couples were accepted, and I believe even then you had to be married for a year due to the rates of divorce in that first year of marriage. So now that's opened up to anyone that can claim they're a domestic partner of any kind. So that means even unmarried people can go together as a couple. And to be explicit, same-sex partnerships are absolutely fine to apply as a couple. If you're applying as a couple, your separate applications will be considered, but you'll only be accepted if both of you are cleared for your post. You'll also be sure to live together at the same site once you're in-country. The next part of the application asks about your veteran status. If you're a veteran or active military, you are totally kosher to apply for Peace Corps as well, uh, but only if your reserve obligations don't interfere with your 27-month service. Obviously, there's an exception made if the U.S. enters a period of wartime or there's a national emergency and you get called up. But if you've got reserve obligations and still want to apply, Peace Corps wants you to just get a, a written confirmation from your commanding officer that your reserve duty won't interfere with your Peace Corps service. They also want to know your language competencies because that can help figure out where you should be posted. Madagascar is an old French colony, and while we don't have any language requirement for the post, it's super helpful if you do know it because a lot of official documents are still written in French. And then we get into some of the fun questions like, have you ever worked for the CIA or NSA? Or do you have family working in the intelligence community? Even here in Madagascar, you will run into people that are suspicious that we're spies for the U.S. government. So if you've ever worked for the CIA at any point in your life, you're immediately disqualified from service. Um, it's a little bit more flexible with other intelligence agencies, but still you're probably going to have to get uh, a lot more clearance and a, a much better description of what you did and what your function was there. That, that, that includes even people in your family that have worked in the intelligence agency. They'll have to be cleared by Peace Corps as well. And even when you go back to the U.S., there's a moratorium on working in the intelligence community for a couple of years. And included in that is the fact that you're not allowed to work a post uh, doing intelligence on the community that you served in. There's also a couple questions about Master's International, which is actually a program that's getting phased out. So unless you started a Master's International program in the U.S. before September of 2016, then you don't really need to worry about this one, and you're probably just going to say no. Peace Corps service presents major physical, emotional, and intellectual challenges. And that's the start of an essay prompt on all Peace Corps surveys. And man, does it ring true. But this little essay is only 500 words, so don't freak out too much. It's mainly just there to check that you can write and present yourself in a professional manner. 
So be sure to proofread. And then to round everything out, Peace Corps asks for two references, wants to get some demographic data on who all is applying, and finally asks you if you're lying about your answers. You'll get a review page, and then you're done, you know, for now. And that's the general application. If you're browsing through and are interested in a particular post, say, like, being an education volunteer in Madagascar, then your application would automatically populate with a couple questions about that. Specifically stuff like, have you ever taught or tutored English, either literacy or English as a second language, and do you have any experience working with youth? If you apply to a specific post, you'll also see a little bit more information uh, about that post in the, the listing. So stuff about your housing situation, the climate of the country you'd be serving, and dietary restrictions. For the Madagascar post, we mentioned that it might be difficult if you have problems eating gluten, peanuts, or shellfish. And as an aside, I don't know where that comes from because people eat rice here. You're not going to see bread or wheat products very regularly, and I know of volunteers serving here that have celiacs. It's honestly probably one of the easiest countries for folks with gluten restrictions to serve in. If you don't have any particular posts that you're looking at, you can just put in a general application and it'll ask if you have any preference for a sector or a region where you'd like to serve. So what does a good applicant look like? And that's hard for me to say since I'm not a recruiter, but even within the application process, there's some hints. Namely, there's this one question about whether or not you've done a program called Peace Corps Prep. So there are some schools that partner with Peace Corps to do this certificate program, but basically it's just working to ensure undergrads who know they want to do Peace Corps are prepared for service. You can check and see if the program exists at your school by heading to the Peace Corps website, clicking on the University Programs link on the left-hand side, and then clicking on Peace Corps Prep. If your school doesn't offer the certificate program, the guidelines for the program are all available online and are a really great way to make sure you're coming across as a strong candidate. For instance, if you know what kind of volunteer you want to be, remember those six we talked about in the first half of the show, take at least three courses in that area and get 50 hours either interning or working in that field. If you're headed to Latin America, you'll need some background in Spanish, or if you're wanting to work in West Africa, you're probably going to need some background in French. So ideally, they're looking for two 200-level courses or above. Going on further, any courses or experiences with intercultural competency is a huge plus. That can either be from taking a gender, LGBTQ, or diversity studies course, courses in African, Black, Asian, or Latin studies, or participating in a study abroad program where you get some experience or participating in a study abroad program where you get to experience other cultures and challenge your own identity. If you've got an opportunity to do some leadership experience on campus or have taken some time to do interview prep, that's going to help your application out not just in the written form, but also during the interview phase after you're being considered for placement. And I said it earlier, and I'll say it again, always have someone look over your resume. That's a good life tip, not just for Peace Corps. Always, always, always have a professional look over your resume and tailor it to the position you're applying to if possible. A lot of people will be like, well, duh, everyone knows that. But you would be surprised at some of the resumes we see. Who lord? So let's fast forward a little bit. You put your application in, and then it's a lot, a lot of waiting. If being considered for the post, you'll get an interview with a recruiter for your country usually over Skype. 
If you're offered a position, you'll have three days to respond that you want to take the post, and thereafter you have to get some medical and legal clearances. The legal clearances are just fingerprints and a background check basically, but the medical clearances can be a little bit more difficult. This is just to make sure you're healthy enough to serve, and if you do have medical conditions, that the doctors in-country are aware of them if you ever need treatment. It's some pretty boring stuff like getting a written record of your vaccinations as a kid, sending in some x-rays to make sure your dental work is all up to date. Uh, for women, they require a gynecological exam and cervical cancer screening. If you wear glasses, you have to send in a prescription in case you need to get them replaced while in country because Peace Corps will help buy them. Stuff like that. There's only one test that I want to highlight, and it's not because it's at all important. I just think there's some really goofy trivia to it, and I'm a little bit of a dork. So, here goes. Uh, for any country where malaria is an issue, you have to get this thing called a G6PD deficiency test. G6PD is glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase. It's an enzyme that helps keep up our energy in certain cell types like red blood cells. And people with a deficiency in this enzyme have red blood cells that are more prone to burst and get destroyed during infection, which isn't overall great. But it's really common in Mediterranean and African populations, and people think this is an evolutionary adaptation to combat malaria. So the malaria parasite has a life cycle stage where it has to develop inside human red blood cells. And if your red blood cells get destroyed before it can develop, well... The malaria can't really develop inside you, and you can't be sick. So these people have a slight genetic advantage against getting malaria, which is pretty nifty. But that does come with the price, though, because there is one food that G6 people cannot eat, and that food is fava beans. Can't eat your fava beans. So that's your little trivia nugget, and I'm think that's going to be where I end the first show. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Okay, bye. This has been an episode of The Third Goal, presented by Peace Corps Madagascar Media Committee. This episode was written and produced by Dexter Gulick. Special thanks go out to the rest of the media committee for all their help and expertise in getting this show up and running. Thanks also to the wonderful Vanessa Dickey, our country director, for her faith that we could stick the landing on this thing. All right, to close out our show is our shout-outs section, and since I was the only one today, it's all mine. So I'm giving my shout-out to my parents, David and Michelle, who celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary this year. That's right, 13 years of preparing themselves in mind and spirit, and they welcomed into the world their greatest treasure, me. Shout-out also goes to my sister, who is objectively cooler than I am, Deanna, if you're listening to this, please don't start up a podcast. Seriously. Like, let me have this one thing. Okay? Best of luck as you wrap up your master's at NYU. And a final shout-out to my brother David P., his wife Natasha, and the world's cutest nephew, Mason. Thinking of y'all from my corner of the globe. All right, that's it. Dex out. <laughs>